When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back for another week of Teach Tapes, and our focus the last several weeks were built off of a talk by Brandon Staley, and it brings us today to penalties and finding ways to coach out penalties, work in practice, have systems for communication that help you avoid penalties, and joining me as he does every week on Teach Tapes, the creator of Teach Tapes, Steve Hauser. Coach, great to have you back for another week, and I'm looking forward to this talk on penalties. Yeah, hey, Keith, be good to go over some things. Obviously, some great games, again, coming down to these small margins and how can you shave and refine those little edges to, to figure it out. I mean, sometimes it's easier when, when we've got the remote in our hand or the clicker at the computer, but it's just how do you, you mentioned just program and, and structure. How do you try to get these things ahead of time and, and learn from what other people had to go through in real time? And we're going to start with the pre-snap penalties, and those might be the most frustrating ones because – in a lot of ways, they're within our control. It's about focus, discipline, et cetera. There's some of the things that happen with post-snap penalties that are because of aggressiveness and other reasons, and we'll talk about those. But the pre-snap penalties will drive you crazy. Two coaching quotes that come to mind recently. I mean, part of that Brandon Staley conversation, he said, I never want to be the least penalized team in, in the league because it means that we're coaching guys out of making plays. Right. Obviously, the, the pre-snap things and, you know, everybody gave Dana Holgerson hell of at some point. Where is this on me? Where is it on the program? Like he made that statement a couple of weeks ago and Houston's a highly penalized team this year. But yeah, it, there are things that we can and cannot control at times. But obviously, the pre-snap stuff is the one that wants to light your hair on fire. I went through some of the SEC stuff and A&M and in the fourth quarter at Bama, they got two back to back false start penalties that put you in third and long goes to third and extra, extra long. And you start to look at the call sheet and be like, how the heck am I supposed to have success? Auburn had six overall false starts against Georgia. Now they shift the D line and do some things, but obviously that's not what you need when you're playing a team of that caliber. And Kentucky had five at home as a top 10 team and, and they lose to South Carolina. And you look back, those are easy ways of how could we correct that? When you look at those, there are some coaching points. There are some tricks that you can teach your players to help them in these situations, if not for anything, but just to key them to not jump off sides or key them to stay in their stance and not flinch. And that ranges from you know both the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. 
Uh, so I'll turn it over to you there and share some of those that you've seen and, and posted on Teach Tapes. Yeah, and it comes down to there's there's obviously scheme involved of situations of on offense. You got these outside receivers keying the ball, and there's no reason ever in the world to jump off sides. They're keying movement, but there was a physical reminder that that I was coached up on in my career of just literally crossing your fingers. Like there's a physical reminder to go with that. Keith, before we jumped on the show, you're talking about a, a program word to alert if two guys were in motion and just shut it down, make sure we're reset. Other people have said there is it's a no-brainer. Just have your eyes closed. Like there is nothing to see. There's nothing to flinch. We're not running anything. We're gonna look over to the sideline and get a call. We we had something with at Oklahoma State of we're gonna look over and, and they do flinch. We're just running four verts and taking a shot. Because now it's a free play. If they do move, who's going to be the person that, that now changes the line of scrimmage and impacts that to get that false start penalty? It's got to be within their cylinder, their like influence is kind of how they reference that and the, the ref mechanics of it all. Something kind of silly happened a couple of years ago where it was a punt play and a gunner on the far side of the field is the one that tried to say he jumped and he sparked me from going over. Well, now it's a false start on the offense because that's not in your sphere, right? That's not the person that sparked you going off sides. So they called it on the, the punt team and the offense. So I think it's just important, even in those offseason things, like it's got to be the guy that's incited by that defensive player jumping in the neutral zone. So just little tidbits of things from, again, my offensive brain on that side. A couple of things. You mentioned the program-wide word for two men in motion, and it's one I heard from Dan Swanstrom, who's now at Penn, he was the head coach at Ithaca and really went over a ton of situations with his guys. But this was one that anybody in the program who saw two guys in motion, their word was mayday. Anybody can make a mayday call and yell it out to alert the guys on the field that we got two guys moving. Everybody needs to get reset before we snap the ball. And I think something like that is very useful. How many times does somebody, whether it's on the field or on the sideline, see those things and there's nothing to alert your players like to get set again, right? I mean, to, to try to yell uh, a whole bunch of commands at guys, you know, just to have that one word I think is useful. And then, yeah, we had an offensive line that I coached. I remember hearing them at the line of scrimmage one time, a couple guys going chucklehead, chucklehead. I'm like, look at the O-line coach. What the, what the heck is chucklehead? What calls that? He's oh, they just made that up as a way – to remind each other that it's on two or not to not to go on the snap count they're in a freeze or whatever and same thing too like if you're in a freeze situation your false cadence or whatever you don't want your guys to jump we'd tell them like you know close your eyes don't don't flinch because someone's coming across at you and you you end up getting the call because he didn't cross the line so little tricks like that I think are important and can help avoid those penalties and it makes it you know when you, you start to have these ways of handling it it makes it important in your culture, right? When you have that program-wide word that anybody is allowed to shout out because they saw it and you don't want a penalty, starts to just put that mindset into those guys about we got to do everything we can to avoid penalties. And part of it, too, it doesn't matter what phase you're on. I mean, the Oklahoma State-Texas Tech game, Tech takes the ball, they go down the field 7-0, they're on the road, they're trying to spark their program after having a big win at Texas and, and go beat a top 25 Oklahoma State team. They go for the, the surprise onside kick with 12 minutes in the first quarter. Well, they hit a one hopper to the, to the wide tackle on the front line. Well, that kid throws up fair catch, right? Over that time, the, the kickoff team, he high points the ball and the 
air gets sucked out of the stadium. Well, the flag, they got rights to the ball as the kick return team. And on the replay, you can see there's multiple players, right, not only on the field, but on the sideline throwing up that fair catch so they get a protected chance to get the ball. So now not only does the kick return team get the football, they get it with that benefit of the penalty in opponent field position. So you talk about a swing going each way, but whether it's the term for an offensive play or even on the KOR team, it's a big deal. Just to bring up another term here, Keith, like a lot of people listening to, to Pat McAfee go off on, on his show and talking to Aaron Rodgers of just everybody yelling out water, water, right from the defense. Hey, it doesn't matter if it's third down or fourth down with the punt return team, just watching the ball and, and not giving up that opponent first down. Aaron Rodgers was on there whatever day he goes on and talking through how to go through and try to draw people off sides when you're on the road in a ruckus environment with a um, silent count and whether it's a look or it's the guard tap and just the mechanics of that. But interesting there. And, you know, there's an old clip from Bill Belichick of just talking with a defensive lineman of what do you think the offense is going to do when the ball is on the minus one? They flinch. It goes back half a, like, I mean, inches. Like, what do they care? but they move and get the easiest five yards off of you. Now it's the other side of the thing. When you're in plus territory on the goal line, I mean, when we were at Iowa state, we're down there and Kinnick's going crazy. It's the first drive of the game. And, you know, we flinched and we went from a, a first and goal to now we're six yards. And before you know it, we're kicking a field goal instead of going up after having three downs. So just the shift of the D line, that's how Georgia got Auburn to flinch a bunch. I know that's a big end-of-game strategy thing for field goal block units in the NFL, especially with how good these kickers are. The chances of you getting home on the block, not nearly as good as hoping somebody flinches, and now there's the 10-second runoff if they don't have a timeout, and the game's over. So how do you take the pen out of their hand, whether it's a communication or a scheme in a certain situation, I think is always helpful. Those things have to be coached up. They have to practice. You need to put your players in those situations, but... Again, having those words, having the little tricks like crossing your fingers or closing your eyes, whatever it might be, yelling water to hold your water on defense and not jump off sides. All those things do help put it in the awareness of your players, but you have to make sure that those are practiced as well. It can't just wait to game day for it to happen. And more than anything, Keith, is, is all of us learning from other games that happen. These players, they're watching the, the NFL on Sunday. They're, they're watching Thursday and Friday night games when you're traveling on the road. The NFL guys were talking about learning from some of these early college games with their teams. Even talking about the, the butt punt, right, of where that guy needs to align. We've talked about a lot of this. There was a really good clip of back when Bruce Arians was in Arizona with the Cardinals. You know, they're watching an end-of-game rep, and the team's going down. They just got to kill it, get everybody back. It's a two-minute drill. They're trying to kick an end-of-game field goal here. Well, one of the receivers is messing around with his feet while they snap and spike the ball. It's got nothing to do with the play. There's your 10-second runoff. They don't have a timeout. That's why they're trying to kill it in the first place, and that's a wrap. So all of this stuff ties into the team, and it's a way to get a bigger buy-in when you're talking to, to your full roster in a meeting room. We talked mostly about offense there, but there's certainly the defensive side of the ball too, whether that's aligning in the neutral zone or if there's 12 men on the field – most cases, that's going to be because of the defense and you know somebody trying to get subbed in or whatever it might be. So the ways to address that and some of the things you've seen and shared on teach tapes. The one that everybody remembers is, is D Ford in the, in the Chiefs versus the Patriots in the AFC Championship. And, you know, the Chiefs had their number, right? But literally the guy was lined up offsides or in the neutral zone there. 
And it happened twice to the same player, LSU Florida this week. It also happened in Tennessee. Actually, that, that Florida game was, was Missouri. So, but again, three times in an SEC game, making sure that somebody is just getting a proper alignment and giving yourself a chance, right? Especially when one of them happened on third down. So one of the things that, that Seattle does, their defensive coordinator is the former D-line coach. He'll put down one of those boards that everybody has for O-line and tight ends between the ball on a stick and where his D-linemen are putting their hands down to just reinforce that as a little bit of space there to have some awareness. You talk about the get off and the trigger. There's, there's a great rep of Von Miller going through his pass rush academy where all these players meet up and, and literally just talk through different things. It sparked, you know, the tight end you with Kittle and Olsen and all those guys. But Von always talked about just knowing the situation. I mean, you see that play clock going down to three, two. I mean, any movement, I'm jumping off, right? He's talking about just the, the space. And, and a lot of people look at the, the different stances and things or, hey, how much weight's on their toes or how the insteps are aligned. But even the game situation, hey, I can get a great jump off here and it'll be, it'll be awesome, right? But the other thing that happened in the, the Bama-Texas A&M game, A&M kids, you know, talking on the sideline with the coach and, and just kind of lingering over the sideline. Bama punted that thing and there's still an extra defensive player on the field for A&M and they lost the possession in the fourth quarter, not because they sent too many guys and but just just an attitude and you know how we take and, and run off the field so it's things that come up and it's it's not the sisters of the poor playing these are big time football that we're talking through and just this week for instance yeah the unfortunately things that happen all the time even at the highest levels and in the biggest games but you got to find some ways to get those coached up and make sure that you're training the penalties out of your team and that takes us to some of the things that happen post-snap. And we look at those, you know, part of it is that, like you said, that philosophy that you don't you don't necessarily want to be the least penalized team because you want your team playing with aggressiveness. So it's about finding some of those things that you can do to help your players. And in, in this case, let's start with the offense and offensive holding. Yeah, and more than anything, I'm sure a lot of people have heard it like, Holding is first a violation of the feet, right? You've got to have a great framework and base and an opportunity with your aiming points and, and your posture to, to have a chance to make the play. But the big term that I've heard my special teams background was, was always kick return and punt return. How do you make sure you don't negate a big return opportunity because you got something going on in the backside? And the word that, that I was coached up on is restriction. So if you, obviously everybody holds, right? The secret's out. Nobody's trying to say that you can't do it. But it's just, again, is it outside your framework and is it something that's restricting that player's movement from making a play? And the me mechanic, at least in those open air situations, is holding, holding, throw the flag. Like it has to be deliberate and take a long time where that play is now enhanced. Obviously, there's a point of attack emphasis to all of it. But some things I saw just from the offensive line perspective is having a soft shoulder, right? Having different sets from versus a stunt, just aiming points and having to reset late, and you're not in a position to sustain that. So that was something as well of even the quarterback break and contain is a tough look sometimes because you're working through a launch point, whether it's a punt protection or a pass game. Again, these guys are blocking with an intent of where that mythical person is behind them. Well, that's a heck of – and I've heard the, the Schwartz brothers on Twitter talk about how hard that is for an offensive line to be called on holding when the quarterback breaks contain and you still got that guy on the breastplate – 
and now you look like you're restricting him because it's a different angle. You're actually seeing some of this stuff come up as well when, when an inside zone bubbles all the way front side. Well, their hat's on the inside V, they're driving their feet, and that defensive end makes a flailing movement. It's hard sometimes, and that's just football. But this thing is understanding how you get your people set up in space. We talked a couple of weeks ago of Georgia had the, the bubble screen with you know the run after catch and the explosives and getting the tight ends out there. But again, some of this pony stuff, you, you talked about it. I think it was the Eagles, right? They talked about, or the, the Bengals, how good those running backs can be in these dynamic offenses. Now you got to have those running backs do some different things, set them up for protection help, or even on the divide zone action, in these play action shots, asking them to block a, a 280 pound defensive end. What's the right way to do that? So we're not holding, we can use the scheme to benefit those players. So you're not handcuffed just by being in those exciting explosive sets. I think when you, you look at some of these things too, uh, I agree that something that happens within the play uh, with, with a change in a guy, you know, unexpectedly being in a different place, changes the reaction of the defense, puts that offensive guy in a bad position. But I think, you know, how do you train those out? Well, it's certainly not doing up downs or sprints or anything like that. It's teaching guys to feel when they're getting out of a bad position and, and how to reset their hands or reset their feet and just to focus on some of that. I know everybody's pressed for time, but I think technique is about getting guys to feel the technique, not just showing them on film. So some of it is, all right, put that guy in that position. Let him feel what it, it feels like when this guy's starting to change his direction, pull away, whatever, the, the quarterback's left the pocket angles change all that kind of stuff teach him to feel that and then teach him the counter to that to how he can get himself back in a a position that puts him in a chance to be successful in that or at the very least avoid a penalty sure and i think a lot of people especially with all the the catapult data that's out there and keeping people fresh for the right moments where you're going to go win the game like taking the collision out of the practice setting people have done a great job with being pre-fit and really focusing on hand placement and, you know, resetting and understanding where that proper leverage point is, both vertical and horizontal, right? Your pad level and where you are with your aiming point on that person's body with the leverage you want to own. But also thinking about how you can go through and throw a high screen in the right setting. Use that body position. And now I'm talking more of the punt return, kick return world of knowing your angles and, and making sure you know to the field return, is he going to meet me? coming up the pipe, going vertical. But the last thing, so Keith, you talk situational awareness. One of the things Belichick talked about with his offensive lineman in a mic'd up setting in practice, like it's the end of the half we're or end of game. If you're an offensive lineman, we've got to be expecting scramble. So I also have to understand this play. We've got to keep this thing alive longer. The last thing I can do is hold in that critical situation. Or even the same thing of backed up. The last thing I want to be doing is caught holding in the end zone and now it's at safety so just having some awareness of the moment and what could potentially happen within that on the other side of the ball when we're looking at penalties at or around the line of scrimmage one of the things that's happening and certainly uh, there's there's comedy in how people are saying you know the nfl is treating it uh, you know certainly it has become a concern and you know a lot of scrutiny on on the calls but roughing the passer and what we can do to to make sure that we're staying out of a bad position, that we don't get called, because that's always 
You know, you look at a lot of those are happening on third and long, right? They're, you're dropping back in the pocket. You're in a pass rush mentality, ears pinned back, getting after the passer. That's the last situation that you want a penalty call that's going to give them another four downs. Those situations are so hard to come by. You fight for them on all these other downs, and, and you feel like you've escaped that situation. Change the field position. Let them punt. Now, guys are just out of control, right? These guys are finely tuned athletes that work 365. We've got to make sure we can't be falling around by the quarterback's front knee. Like, there's just some player safety stuff. Like, hands to the face. You go to match that hand, and you get it on the quarterback's face mask, it's going to get called. Like, I don't care if it's before Tua or after Tua, it's getting called. But what we see, like, and again, just studying these different reps and these different Power Five conferences, a lot of movement pass when guys are changing the pocket and someone from depth is adding in a double pass, a scramble, a screen. When things are drawn out, even sometimes that linebacker is green dogging in and he's got his ears pinned back and steam coming out of his ears because, man, the protection's already declared itself and I'm rushing. It's hard for these guys to pull back. And that's when we're seeing a lot of these roughing the passer opportunities happen. Other side of it, would be unnecessary roughness, right? Just late hits, like things that, again, by a cut up or having an understanding of guys, this is how the penalty gets created is, is slinging that guy to the ground on the sidelines. Is it after the play's already been blown dead and we've stalled out his forward progress and something dumb happens after the whistle? Guys, we've already done the hard part. We've made the hard play. Just make sure we can shut it down and not have to redo that work. So let's progress and move these penalties down the field, starting on the offensive side of the ball. Things like offensive pass interference. You know, we mentioned some things happening in a scramble drill, wide receivers blocking downfield, some of the things that come up frequently in these situations. And again, what we can do to avoid those. Yeah, and some of it's technique and some of it's scheme. But, you know, in the contested catch, the, the worst thing you can have is a receiver pushing off God bless you if you do it with two hands, but extending out that arm and locking that out high on that, that DB's body, never a good look when the ball's in the air. One of the things I was really fortunate to learn from Casey Dunn was to play low on that hip and check and make sure you can even lift off or push out from the elbow and use that as kind of a forearm through that lower body to get that hip movement so he can't jump up and it's not as obvious with that extended hand. All right, playing low, one hand, trying to use that flipper, if you will, um, to help yourself out in those contested catches. But the other thing is is the pick plays. We've all run in the, the single receiver, picking that outside backer with the, with the running back, running that rail or that kind of settling route versus that zone. But the biggest coaching point is obviously to run the route, right? You can't throw the hip out there or square up and take the charge. It's obviously even the, the pick play where you're running like a vert shallow, and the running back's picking the mic. Man, sit down, give your, give your shoulders to the quarterback because they're looking to call that stuff now. You've got to have some savvy. I mean, there was one team that got called for it twice in one quarter on different types of plays. So having some awareness on that, but also the screen. And this is something now where, again, could be the receiver not going, hey, we always talked about one big, two little, right? Give that big threat upfield, come back negative to the ball and let that sidewalk alley be kicked out by the by the extending offensive lineman. If that guy does drift upfield, now we got those runners downfield, they're calling that as an upfield throw. Another great one that people have seen is that crack back off the divide zone, and now you hit the dump off to the tight end. But if that thing gets strung out with the quarterback, that timing's so important. If that ball does get upfield, 
Now it's a bad look. And we joked about it a couple of weeks ago. Was how do we, I think we said, how do we run as many plays where we don't have to block anybody, right? You talk about those receivers blocking for his little time. Anthony was in the explosive runs that we talked about that, but, you know, run a route, run a route to the safety. We called it peel a post and a wheel, but how do you give that little change up release where you're showing that option route and then twitching and running that guy off and don't drop your hips till he does. How do I run that, that push crack to the safety, but I'm running it with the corner and now I'm running through to the safety on my post. So just little things of, Hey, a slow screen to a running back. That'd be a great way people have done it. But again, just making sure you're playing legal and using those downfield blockers the best way you can from the teaching, the, the drill side, there's some really good clips for the running back route running, not so much the pick, but you know, if you look at teach RB in that rail route with the running back, there's Detroit and green Bay running two different looks, a man look where they're keeping it tight up that red line and going for the home run ball versus man, or that back having to widening and settle like a with hitch and give his surface to the quarterback versus zone. So I think that could be a good example. Some of those running back route running things get lost sometimes. Good place to check that out. You know, on the defensive side, obviously defensive pass interference is a, a big one. Can be very disruptive in the game, whether you're in the NFL and the ball ends up on the one or uh, you're moving the ball 15 yards down the field. I, I think that's one, too, that you have to look at the capability of your guys. What can they do? What's the best thing for them in those situations? In one particular clinic I was taking a look at this week, it was Marvin Klesador is now the defensive backs coach or the safeties coach at Temple. Temple doing an outstanding job on defense. And he was talking about some of the things they did while he was at Western Michigan in what he called a clamp technique in these guys essentially playing in off coverage, kind of like a, a would turn into a match coverage. But they're standing on the goal line, catching the guy there. And his point was, you know, they avoid pass interference calls. They are able to better break up a back shoulder fade. Um, they're really leaning on any, anything coming inside that they're able to, by alignment, take it away. But now then be able to see the ball and make those plays in the corner where they're not blindly going up because there's their backs to the ball. They kind of see some things and have a better point to get to, which helps them avoid those those interference calls. So I do think some of it is is if you're having it again and again, take a look at the technique. Take a look maybe even at at the scheme and does it need to be changed up a little bit from, hey, I'm going to press in these situations to something like I, I mentioned there where they went to a, a more of a catch technique. Certainly. And I think a good point you bring up there, Keith, is just the, the field position, right? Understanding what I need to get away with in that moment and kind of segueing it to the last thing I was going to bring up from the special teams perspective is what can I get away with on return units at the line of scrimmage versus downfield and open space? So if we kind of built it into the offensive defensive conversation we just had, one of the things you, you watch John Fossil, he talks about sometimes with their, their kick return technique, they'll literally thud it up and wrap it like they're going through a form frontal tackle. And then the big part of the drill is resetting their hands, double under getting their elbows in, but he's doing that and there's no restriction. Some other guys have done a great job. I saw a clinic by Rob Wenger at Minnesota. He's taught this for a long time with their punt return called a lobster claw. Like you're literally clenching those guys and then clamping them because what is every punt return team doing on the front line is going left and right, right? They're moving away from you. They're trying to disrupt the launch point and get into coverage. 
Well, that three yards of the line of scrimmage on punt return is basically a trench fight. They're not calling anything until U.S. like literally hip toss them and drag them to the field. And then you can get in down the line and be more savvy with your placement. On the NFL side, the Eagles, they, they do a three, a three drill set for their punt return in its line of scrimmage. And they're literally long striding that guy because they're vertical setting in the NFL. Right? That's the first drill. They come through the shoots out of the three-point stance, pretty old school. The next part they'll go to is when they're even leveraged down the field. Right? They've transitioned from the line of scrimmage. They're building to that returner's alignment with the catch. And now they're pinning that shoulder and driving that guy out when they're even. If that guy does work to stack me, I've got to put my foot in the ground and get next level and help my buddies and make sure because I can't block in the back. I got to play legal and help out, make that guy miss with the returner and set up a bigger play. So those are literally their three drills when they go punt return drill before their schemes, line of scrimmage, transition, and the finish of play legal. Number one, don't lose the play before you can win it. And all of these will be, like we did last week, curated in Twitter moments. It's at Teach Tapes. I think when you look back at what we talked about here, the whole idea is that you can do things to affect the, the penalties that are happening on the field in a positive way for you, uh, whether it's the communication, whether it's training certain techniques, or even looking at certain schemes to find out where are we having issues and what's the solution. This is an exercise in problem solving. There's a way to train these out of your players. All of them are happening for a reason. You have to get to the core of that and eliminate those. And as always, you have to coach everything up. And Keith, just to put a bow on it, the, the, the exercise we did with Brandon Staley's blueprint, there's a reason they're going over this as a key part of their offseason in their fall camp. Because whether it's the scheme, whether it's the teaching in the meeting room or how you're drilling it, there's got to be an intent behind what you do. Do we want to take the aggression out of these players? Absolutely not. There's things that happen pre-snap that we certainly can control with organization and communication. And then post-snap, like anything in life, it's working smarter, not harder. Is there offensive PI? Yeah, every DB coach in America will tell you there is. There's some ways better to do it than others. So hopefully that puts a good cap to what we've talked about with that blueprint. Those four areas that, that Brandon Staley talked about with explosives, turnovers, takeaways, penalties, and situational master. So glad we went through it, Keith. I hope that helps some people. Definitely. And we'll be back at it again next week, looking at a different aspect of what we can do to get better in season by focusing on some techniques. Steve, thanks again for putting this together and the preparation you did for this week and look forward to another one next week. Thanks for having me, Keith.